Can I make that a ringtone on my phone? <laughs> if you're like I, sometimes you look in the bulletin and you see that the pastor is not here and you let out a collective gasps. <laughs> I, I promise you that he will be back soon. And I know now why he asked me to replace him today because you never ever share a platform with a six-year-old. If you feel like you are going into Outback Steakhouse and getting tofu, that's because we have a pastor who feeds us lusciously every week and he ministers to me and challenges me and at times has been the source of rescuing my own faith and devotion and I miss him. You may find yourself in the same situation as Virginia, a very bright seven-year-old girl whose mother was leaving home on a week's business trip. As mom was leaving, uh, Virginia tearfully said, Daddy, I have a loose tooth. If it falls out while mommy is gone, do you know how to, do you know how to handle this tooth fairy thing? Uh, and when I left house this morning, my wife asked me, are, are, are you okay? And, and I suddenly said, I don't know. It's been 12 years since I preached my last sermon, and that was here. So uh, I hope I can get into it. But today is an important day. Uh, all you had to do was listen to Pastor George's sermon to know that Memorial Day Sunday is a day of great meaning and great significance. It's a time when we spend visiting grave sites and watching parades and saluting and thanking soldiers and veterans and saying prayers and remembering those close to us who have died. So there's a little doubt about its meaning and significance. But did you know that also today is Pentecost Sunday? Chances are that you may not know or you may have forgotten I was not brought up to follow the liturgical church year, so I even had to do a little searching to nail down exactly when the day is that Pentecost is observed, and it turns out to be today. Pentecost is the religious observance of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. However, it's also the day when the Lord Jesus Christ kept a huge promise. It marks the day the church was born. If I was one devoted to unforgettable symbols, I might have suggested that we all put on hats, we find some neat party games and fill the ceiling with balloons and serve ice cream and cake, and then take a shot at singing Happy Birthday birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear church. But I suddenly discovered that if I sing it that way, Rebecca's going to have a real problem <laughs> hanging on to the R. Happy birthday, dear church. So I won't do that. However, you're going to find at the end of the service that I will ask you to give a birthday present to the church. It's not an offering, I might add. Pentecost Sunday seems to 
have gotten lost in a long string of celebrations that Christians observe. It, it may be that uh, Christmas and New Year's and Easter and Thanksgiving Day and Mother's Day and Father's Day end up to be more significant. And Pentecost may sometimes get married be, or buried because uh, the, the word Pentecost and the word Pentecostal tends to be mysterious and misunderstood. Uh, Pentecost and Pentecostal are words associated with words like signs and wonders and revival. And certainly when we see words in scriptures like tongues of fire and violent wind, and we see the Apostle Luke likening the day to the sound of what must have been a tornado going through Joplin, Missouri, suddenly we realize that we are dealing with an explosive day. Many of the issues connected with Pentecost have been hotly debated among Christians. Loving, productive, contributing Christians have broken fellowship over what Pentecost means and the significance of the word Pentecostal. That being said, today's remarks are devoted to Pentecost Sunday and more specifically the meaning and significance of what is a pivotal landmark day in Christian history perhaps the most significant of all. The meaning of Pentecost should be showcased and celebrated heartily. Now, I know what the word insignificant is, and there are certainly insignificant things there are about today. Today marks the day when Malcolm IV became king of Scotland at age 12 in 1153, it's also the day that Walt Disney's movie, uh, The Three Little Pigs, premiered 79 years ago. It's the anniversary of the Golden Gate Bridge, which did manage to make television this morning. And what is most exciting here is it's Wild Bill Hickok's birthday. So let's dwell on the significance of that. When something is significant, it's got my attention. When something is significant, it's worth my time and energy. When something is significant, it has an impact on me. When something is significant, I can jump into it, I can swim around in it, I can float on it, I can even scuba dive into it and uh, look at its meaning and get real excited. I know I won't be bored, I won't be distracted, I won't find it dry or dreary. Now, there are some times in my life when I need promptings that something is significant. For example, the speed limit sign becomes significant if there is a police officer sitting right by it or you get a ticket. April 15th marks the significance of the Internal Revenue Service. And my smartphone rings every Wednesday morning at 7.30 to remind me the significance of Wednesday, which is trash day. <laughs> Time and experience helps teach us significance. The significance of my mother and father really began to take shape after I became a father, and then after I became a grandfather, and after my mother and father died. And suddenly I look back and the meaning of their existence and love for me begins to hit me. 
Sometimes we try to make things significant by, uh, by the, things, the names we give to them. For example, if you're a whitewater enthusiast and you go up on the Colorado River, you will approach a rapid by the name of Room of Doom. <laughs> if you're on the Arkansas River, you'll go through a rapid called Widowmaker. If you ride a mountain bike up in Moab, Utah, you'll ride a trail called Poison Spider. Or even more uh, alarming is if you ride a trail called Happy Landing. <laughs> Perhaps you've had a chocolate truffle named Caramelized Passion. And if you really need roller coasters in life, there's the Intimidator in North Carolina, the Powder Keg in Missouri, the Typhoon in Kentucky, and the Storm Runner in Pennsylvania. You'll find these things significant. I even have significant things in our refrigerator. They are the five hottest hot sauces that money can buy, and so I've named them in order of the significance that they can create as we listen to them. Number five, religious experience. <laughs> Doesn't get better here, you know. There are some pastors that can tell bad jokes and look cute like Johnny Carson and, and uh, uh, Steve Martin. Um, I can't do that. But, and number five is religious experience. Number four is Blair's Megadeth. Number three is Get Well Soon. <laughs> I don't know whether I should do number two, but we will anyway. Number two, hot sauce. A woman scorned. And I think the one that really, really jumps out and makes me feel like I don't want to do it is called Bee Sting. <laughs> Now, there's a fascinating relationship between meaning and significance. And if you get into a good college debate or discussion, I am sure that the question will come up that says, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? Now, that may seem like a stupid question, but it starts to uh, throw our attention to the whole question of was, is, there, is there sound without ears? Is there taste without food? Is there beauty without eyes? Is there a lover without a love e? So now we can take that question, if a tree falls in the forest, and we can update it a little bit. <laughs> if a man speaks alone in the desert and there's no woman to hear him, is he still wrong? <laughs> I presented that quite question to my wife and she said, absolutely. <laughs> An old, old hymn gives us the significance of Pentecost. We don't sing it anymore, and as a matter of fact, when I sang it as a kid, it was old-fashioned. Uh, Lord, send the old-time power, the Pentecostal power. Floodgates of blessing. I'll keep my day job in. <laughs> On us throw open wide, Lord, send the old-time power, the Pentecostal power. That sinners be converted, thy name be glorified. So we updated it. 
And this update is really, really, really age two because we started singing, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, burning, burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, burning, burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. And we've made up all other kinds of words on it. Only to point at the day of Pentecost and its significance in which God shook his people by the shoulders and thumped them on the head and made all sorts of commotion to show us that he is significantly yours and he's significantly mine. No one was bored that day. No one was uninvolved. No one found it dry or dreary. There was impact. There was chaos. There was commotion. There was confusion. All good words that describe that day. So one of the ways to celebrate Pentecost, I believe, is to do a flyover of Acts chapter 2. And it is indeed a flyover, kind of like what you would see uh, at a parade tomorrow where four jets shoot over the parade and make their appearance. What did Luke see and hear? And I would suggest that Luke saw and heard seven deep, different gut-level responses at the day of Pentecost. And we celebrate the birthday of the church by briefly looking at those seven gut-level responses. The first I'll call ecstasy. We read in the text, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll note the emphasis I just did because what I want to do is talk for a second about the response of being filled not about being filled with the Holy Spirit yet, but being filled. There's a puzzle uh, that we see. I like to do wuzzles in the Denver Post. And uh, I don't know whether it's up on the screen or not, but uh, there's the wuzzle where you see the word you and just and me. Three words right there, right, right next to each other. I sat there for ten minutes stared at that thing and stared at it and stared at it and stared at it. Now, you astute ones out there, how do we solve the puzzle? What is it? Just between you and me. You got the aha right off the bat. I had to stare at it for 10 minutes. And all of a sudden, at the 10th minute, bingo, the significance of that hit me. There's a, uh, probably a more stirring illustration. You may remember the playoff game with Tim Tebow and Demarius Thomas and Pittsburgh and Denver. Uh, a real high point about three months ago or two months ago where now we're in overtime. And Demarius Thomas runs to this, the sideline and then he cuts to the right and center field and suddenly he has ten steps on the defender and he catches the ball and he runs into a touchdown. And after he runs through the, uh, 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 the end zone, he, he, he actually runs off the field and he comes back and he doesn't realize that something has happened. Not only did he score a touchdown, but there are new rules in overtime. <laughs> and quite frankly, what he had discovered is not only had he scored a touchdown, but they had won the game. <laughs> and another player ran up to him right away and said, 
guess what? We won. You saw this blank expression on his face, and all of a sudden he explodes. We won the game, and all of a sudden we see jumping and hugging and shouting and dancing and yelling and dumping of Gatorade and all, all of these things. Whoever said men aren't emotional? Holy smoke. When you are filled, <laughs> well, think about it for a second. Peter and these disciples had seen Jesus teach, and they had gone through Pen uh, uh, Passion Week with him, and then they saw him crucified, and then they saw him rise again, and then they saw him go into heaven, and then they thought about it for 30 or 40 days. And is it any corruption of the text to believe that after 40 days of prayer and fasting and eating together, that suddenly the significance that Jesus Christ rose from the dead hit them right between the eyes. And they were so, so gripped, so energized, so filled with this news, they couldn't wait to talk about it. That's what it means to be filled what it means to be filled with the Spirit. We'll see in a minute. A second response. Not only did Luke see ecstasy or being filled, he saw power, we read in the text now. On one occasion in Acts 1-4, on one occasion while Jesus was eating with him, he gave them this command, don't leave Jerusalem, wait for the gift. In a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8 we read, And you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. And then in the second chapter we, uh, we read these words, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then in verse 4 we read, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now look at the challenge before Peter at Pentecost in the text. And I'm going to read again the text as it falls in Acts chapter 2. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing. That means the audience was intense. God-fearing Jews from every nation. That means they were diverse. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together. That means they were numerous. Numerous and bewildered. That means they were conflicted because each one heard them speaking in their own language. Utterly amazed, means they were totally surprised. They asked, are not these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? They were blown away. Then he goes, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Persia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews and converts, Cretans, Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they were unconvinced. They asked one another, what does this mean? They were inquisitive. Some, however, made fun. They were cynical. And they said they've had too much wine. They were speculative. Now, up to this point, Peter has not been a stellar performer. If you see him at the Mount of Transfiguration, he kind of flunks the course. If you uh, think about what he said after Jesus said to him, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll found my church, he, he didn't know what was going on then. 
He certainly didn't grasp what Jesus was saying at the Last Supper. And, of course, we all know what he did in, during Passion Week in the denial of Jesus Christ three times. If I were to sum up Peter at this point, I would say that he wasn't steering with both hands or he wasn't golfing with good clubs or he wasn't barbecuing with good sauce. Put it any way you want. <laughs> but now we read these words, God promised power. The Greek word is dunamon. <laughs> so you ever see a dose, a bottle, something that says dunamon on it? <laughs> it's the Greek word for power. As the Spirit enabled. Now my wife knows how to enable me. <laughs> I have a nice office downstairs. And if you know my wife, she is, uh, she's quiet, powerful. And one of the ways, did I goof up? No. One of the ways she becomes powerful uh, is by placing a vacuum cleaner right at the door of my office with a dust rag on it. <laughs> really communicates. <laughs> that vacuum cleaner will sit there day after day <laughs> because what she's saying to me is, David, you have the ability and you have the power and you have the tools and you have the job. You are now enabled. Peter was enabled. He did it, and Peter do it, did it. Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. So we see a third response coming out of here. What we see now is insight. We have ecstasy. We have power. Now we see insight. And I call your attention now as we work through this text to the tone in Peter's message. I fly over the text again, and we see words like, Then Peter stood up, and he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd, and he said, Let me explain. And then he says, Listen carefully to what I say. And then he goes on, Brothers, I can tell you confidently. And then he ends his message by saying, be assured of this. And I imagine he pointed when he said that. Now let's go on in his sermon because then he gives us a catalog of promises and I'll swing through them very quickly. Note the promises in his message. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And what you're seeing now is the pouring out of God's spirit as, as Peter preaches. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your church has a significant message. Your, monk, your young men will see visions. Be driven by, by, by the drive of young guys who see the future. Your old men will dream dreams. We'll come along and tell them of our experiences. We'll be guiding, guiding them with the older. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. You'll see things coming out of the church that are absolutely phenomenal. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood. She'll face trials before the great and glorious day of the Lord. And now he's promised that there will be another day in which the invasion of God's presence is profound and recognizable and with huge significance. So now we have the tone and we have the promises of his message, but then he gets into the facts and the facts will blow us away. And I simply read them because they're so clear. Jesus of Nazareth 
was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of of wicked men, put him to death. But God raised him from the dead, and he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and is pouring out what you now see and hear. Any doubt about what the pouring out of the Spirit means? There's the basic idea right, right now. When you see the facts of what Jesus did, the Lord is pouring out His Spirit on us. And then He capsulizes this, and we are witnesses. It's a legal term. It's now the pivotal point on which our faith stands. If now we take a look at the apostles and say, they saw it, they touched it, they felt it, do we believe them? And if we do, we're in good shape. If we doubt them, that's another story. We have promises, we have facts. But this morning I call your attention to the conclusion, the very important conclusion of this message. In 2.36 we read, Therefore, And if you study the Bible carefully, when you see the word therefore, you see what it's there for. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. And here it comes. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. If the seven last words came out of the Easter days, these might be the seven first words of the church. God has made this Jesus Lord and Christ, both Lord and Christ. And I quite frankly love the way the Apostle Paul states it. In Philippians we read, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Colossian Paul writes now, and he moves on to say, in Christ all things are created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things are created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The perfect presence, the perfect power, the purposes of everything is in the Lord and Christ. All of everything hangs on it. If we understand and grasp this, we cannot get away from its significance. If you ever want significance in your own Christian life, start to dwell on those seven words regardless of what you face. Because if he is Lord and he is Christ, somewhere buried in all that is his power and his purpose. The fourth gut-level response, Luke saw conviction. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter, brothers, what shall we do? The fifth gut-level response, Luke saw and heard change. Verse 38, repent, be baptized, receive the gift of the Spirit. 
And then he throws a couple words with us here. Save yourself from the corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number. We have the generation and the number, and I want to stop for a second. A couple weeks ago, our pastor gave an illustration when he was preaching in the prophets, and he wanted to show us the love of God, and I remember it because he said, of God's love when you talk to a toddler, I love you this much, and then I love you this much, and I love you this much, and I sat there and I listened to it, and the tears began to come to my eyes as I listened to it. Shortly after that passage in which he preached, the Super Bowl gave us performers at halftime that give us the obscene gesture. What a contrast. While our choir last week sang that tender song, the Lord bless you and keep you, and we had our own ecstatic moments here, NBC on Monday night gave us Howard Stern, perhaps the most disgusting, degrading, destructive person the media could ever give us on family prime time. What a blessing it is to be able week by week by week to change from this world outside and come to a place where love and blessing abounds. We have a pastor who stands in the midst of us and looks us straight in the eye and levels the blessing of God right at us. Hmm. The sixth gut level, devotion. The people devoted themselves to the fellowship and the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread and prayer, and everyone was filled with awe. So as they did this and as they dwelt on the lordship of Christ and His power, they experienced the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. No magic, no gimmicks, no manipulation, no mumbo-jumbo, so clear Words and propositions that we can listen to and grasp is right there, and that leads us to the seven gut-level response, and that's unity. All the believers were together. They sold their possessions. They gave to anyone who had need. They continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with sincere, glad hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. It doesn't appear that the Holy Spirit is even close to the business of dividing people. (laughs) When the Holy Spirit is with us, we're together. So there you have it. Seven gut-level responses in the Pentecostal experience. And all I can think now is that the church is significantly mine and significantly yours globally. Kenneth Latterat, a church historian, writes, No life ever lived on this planet has been so influential in the affairs of men like the life of Jesus Christ. From that brief life and its apparent frustration has flowed a powerful force for the triumphant waging of man's long battle than ever known by the human race. By it, millions have been lifted from illiteracy and ignorance and have been placed upon the road of growing intellectual freedom and control over the physical environment. 
It has done more to allay the physical ills of disease and famine than any other impulse known to man. It's emancipated millions from chattel slavery and millions of others from addiction to vice. It has protected tens of millions from exploitation by their followers. It's been the most fruitful source of movement to lessen the horrors of war and to put the relations of men and nations on the basis of justice and peace. The church is significant globally. Then I notice its local significance. As I drive to West Bowles in the morning, I see church buildings and gatherings, and in those gatherings are conservatives and liberals. In those churches are extroverts and introverts. There are contemporaries and their traditionals. There are liturgical and spontaneous. There are high churches and low churches. They're large and small. They're sophisticated or they're simple or they're young or old or they're activistic or contemplative. And in those churches together, people are singing and praying and preaching and sharing and giving and serving and evangelizing. And then I find the church so personally significant gave me a mentor for 65 years. It gave me my wife. It gave me a man who gave me my business career. I had lunch with Pastor George 13 years ago, and he sat down and said, Dave, I'm going to put you to work. I have Pastor Todd who blesses me every week. I have a choir who serves up luscious beauty. I have buddies with whom I play. I walked through this church early on Sunday and I watched teachers getting ready to teach and I listened to the musicians sing and I watched the technicians getting everything ready all so that we might have an hour of safety and significance. Happy birthday, dear church. Holy smoke, no pun intended. If any birthday needs to be celebrated, it's Pentecost. One of the terms that's associated with Pentecost is revival. And if you're in a place today with, where your Christian experience is dry and dreary, or you're wondering where it's going, ponder these seven first words of the church. God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. You may wish to become a Christian, and making that confession makes it so. Ecstasy, power, insight, conviction, change, devotion, unity. Seven gut-level experience at Pentecost. Well, will you indulge me, please? I would like in a minute to ask you to stand and to give the church a birthday present. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I do because a friend of mine plays a magnificent pipe organ. And I'd like us to sing along with her the great hymn of the church, The Church's One Foundation. And it's a little bit slower and a little bit louder but I hope that it lifts you up and gives you an idea of just how significant this place and this church is to Littleton and how significant the church is to the world. Let's stand together and sing, please.
be afraid to sing it with all your might. The church is one Happy birthday, dear church, and Todd, we miss you and we love you. Come home soon. You are dismissed.